When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Dan, and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We continue looking at roadmaps for the Cleveland Browns, and today Doug Maurice is going to give us his. He's looking at the offensive and defensive lines and the Browns' roadmap this offseason to filling the needs that he believes that they need to fill. And he lays that out for Ashley Bastock and me. So we discuss all that on the podcast. Now, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, you know this is where I tell you about it because you're missing out on an exclusive newsletter that comes to your inbox every day. You're not one of our text subscribers and you're not getting access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash brown. So you got to do all that stuff. Blue banner at the top of the page, cleveland.com slash browns. Get your info, get signed up. Okay, here we go. Our roadmap series continues on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on our Thursday Orange and Brown Talk podcast, continuing our roadmaps. And Doug, it is your turn today, so I'm just going to hand things off to you, and we're going to talk about your topic. So Dan, as we were discussing the fact that your roadmap was 27 points (laughs) and pinpointed uh, how to specifically get from outside of your house into uh, the Super Bowl was was uh, a, a, a triumph of sports writing, but also, you know, I mean, you kind of covered it all. And I agreed with a lot of what you said. So I, I wanted to focus on the offensive and defensive lines, because I think there's three things there that I have as part of their roadmap. And the most boring one to start with is one that keeps Blake Hance off the field in 2022. So that's where I'm going to start. Chris Hubbard was signed by John Dorsey in Cleveland to be a starting right tackle. After he had been sort of a swing guy, a sixth guy in Pittsburgh, they had an injury. He filled in the rest of the year. He played well. John played well. John Dorsey signed him as a starter. He was not a good starting tackle here. I did not think he was good. He's the ideal swing tackle. He's perfect. Now they paid a lot of money. They paid him like starters money. And then by the end of his last year here, he was a swing tackle, but his injury early last year, he played 39 snaps last year, which made Blake Kantz play more than 600 snaps. It made James Hudson play more than 300 snaps because Jack Conklin and Jedrick Wills Jr. both had injuries. I think it's super important for them to sign a swing tackle. Hubbard's a free agent. Maybe he's the guy. I, I don't know. He's coming off the injury, but it's almost like a, to me, Dan and Ashley, it's like a borderline starter guy that maybe would even have offers to probably start somewhere who's not going to start here if wills and conklin are healthy and mary Kay has been saving saying that conklin will be healthy 
but they had such problems. It's not their fault. They had the right guy and they wound up playing their fourth and fifth tackles a lot last year and they suffered for it. So I don't have a great plan because like it's you're going to have to persuade somebody come here to a non-playoff team and don't start. So you might have to overpay, but if I'm paying backups, I'd rather pay a backup tackle than I'd rather pay Case Keenum. Is this, so I, I don't know the exact right thing to do. I was going through the list of free agent tackles and you get in that range of guys who sometimes when they analyze and they say, Hey, he's a swing tackle. He's right on the edge. He's a bad starter or a good backup. Get one of those guys. Is that too boring? Should I no, start I mean, I no, no. First of all, I think people come on this podcast to hear your analysis and then to hear your Blake Hans zingers. They're like, what can he throw out there this week? It's like Dan and Ben Roethlisberger. But no, I mean, I think on that podcast we did where we ran through all the upcoming free agents and everything, I, I think, advocated for bringing back Chris Hubbard because the thing was when we heard from these guys towards the end of the year, and on like exit meeting day, the thing that repeatedly came up with losing Jack Conklin and how that was impacted that caveat of, well, we also lost our swing tackle. The first week of the season was always thrown in there by just about everyone. The offensive line guys, Kevin Stefanski, like, I think this team, obviously you saw the results on the field with what they had to do at those tackle positions. And obviously not to turn it into a Baker Mayfield discussion. Like there are some processing issues there, but the tackles were overmatched a lot of the time. Um, so I just think if you have a guy, you know, fits that role, obviously the injury kind of creates a question mark, but I'm still in favor. I'm with you, Doug, of bringing him back. And if that means you can't keep Case Keenum anymore, happy trails at that point, basically, in my opinion, because I do think he him being gone really, really impacted this offense in a negative way. So, Doug, where does James Hudson kind of fit into all of this? Do you, do you trust, like, if the if Andrew Barry went to the combine and, and you asked him, like, hey, who's your swing tackle? And he said, oh, it's James Hudson. Would you be comfortable with that? Or, like, you, no, Andrew, you still got to add somebody. This is hard. This is a lot like the Nick Harris discussion that we had on your podcast of they know more than us. Based on how he played last year, no, I would not be comfortable. Uh, I looked on PFF at every tackle who played like at least 240 snaps last year, like 20% of the season. And I think Blake Hance and James Hudson graded out 76th and 77th on their PFF grades. They both were bad. Now, a successful team, this is what you do. You draft the guys to fill in these holes. Hudson in year two, based on what year one looked like, I'm not blaming him. He's a fourth round pick. He's, I wouldn't be comfortable with it. And that would make me a little nervous. And I think it's amplified by the fact that both Wills and Conklin had injuries they dealt with last year, especially Conklin. And his confidence, you know, again, if Conklin's plan is to be back, okay, but that insurance matters even more. So, so no, I'm not comfortable. I don't think that's enough. Do, do you think Hudson might be enough? No, because I, I need the guy to be able to start for me. Like you said, if Conklin's not ready or if Jedrick Wills doesn't improve, I need to have somebody there that can start football games for me and potentially important football games for me in December. So 
Yeah, and look, we all have a bad taste in our mouths from the last time we saw James Hudson play. He was part of that that performance against the Steelers. Some of that was on Baker Mayfield. Some of that was on Hudson. But it wasn't great either way. So, no, I, I wouldn't be real comfortable if they were like, yeah, James Hudson's our guy. Now, if they said James Hudson and Chris Hubbard, I could live with that. Yes. Uh- I, I was just going to say, like, with James Hudson – and Dan, you mentioned the Steelers game, like the Steelers game isn't even necessarily what worries me about him. It's the run blocking because we know that is not his strong suit. He had some really, really abysmal run blocking grades in, in individual games this season. I think he managed to raise his total run blocking grade with towards like the end of the season. But obviously, given what this offense is built around, that kind of becomes slightly concerning for me. <laughs> You know, it's hard. I I do think Chris Hubbard might be the answer here, or it's veteran X, right? PFF has a great list of the top 200 free agents. I'm not going to pretend I even know who some of these guys are. (laughs) Cornelius Lucas from Washington. They call a good swing tackle. They project that he'd be two years, 5 million. I'm I'm in on that. That sounds good to me, right? But at least even what's the guy who was here before? Kendall Lamb? Yeah. Like Like that. I think maybe a little better than him. Hubbard's certainly more established than him. When Hubbard got here, he sounded like a five-year, $36 million contract. That's a lot of money. I also don't know that they should be paying $6 million a year for a swing tackle. So the guy's got to be reliable enough, but you don't want to invest in a guy that ideally wouldn't play that much. So I'm looking to spend maybe 4 to $5 million a year on a guy who's done it and let Hudson grow into it but don't rely on him. And if you tell me that Chris Hubbard coming off the injury, he's going to be fully healthy and he's the answer on a one year, $4 million contract. I think I'm okay with that, but it's gotta be somebody. I think a guy that's, that's done it is the keyword too, because I just don't want to bring in like a sixth rounder or like a, first of all, I don't think I want to use a fourth round pick on a tackle. And I don't want it to be like a sixth rounder, like James Hudson. Again, I don't want it to be James Hudson part two. Like we're going to draft a guy. And with Hudson, it was, if we were going to see him this past season, it was because something awful happened. And well, something awful happened and we saw him. So that, that's kind of where I'm at too, Ashley, with this whole idea of give me somebody who's at least done it before and shown me that, that they can play the position. Yeah. It's almost like what Doug was talking about with the kickers when we did our you know, Browns Bengals series. And we're talking about Evan McPherson and it's like, you really need this year shows them. You really need a solid swing tackle that you can't just get somebody off the scrap heap necessarily like fully off the scrap heap like that again. Um, because that hasn't necessarily worked. And again, I just think like with the injuries we saw, like the Browns basically live their doomsday scenario at tackle with these injuries this year. Um, if, if that, that that's not out of the question, it's not an impossibility that that happens, that those sort of freak fluke injuries happen like that back to back, essentially. So I, I just think I'm with you that it is kind of important that you're not digging late in the draft to find that guy. If that's the route you go. Okay. So we're all agree then swing tackle is a priority, whether it's Chris Hubbard, Chris, a Chris Hubbard like dude. Okay. So let's go to defensive line then. And Dan, this plays off a little bit of your mock draft that went up on Wednesday. And it's defensive tackle. 
And the Cincinnati Bengals, when we compared the Bengals to the Browns, the, the glaring difference on defense where the Bengals were definitely better was defensive tackle. B.J. Hill and D.J. Reader were really good for them this year. Larry Ogunjobi was pretty decent as a third tackle. And the Browns just didn't get production from any of their guys. Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell, none of them good, all bad PFF grades. So this is the area, you know, I, I think they're probably, there's about maybe eight guys on both sides of the ball, eight starters that are kind of dudes for the Browns right now. They're not all pro bowlers, but pretty solid guys. And then this is Andrew Barry, veteran X that Andrew Barry finds a good player for a decent price. This is where Andrew Barry has got to do his thing. So the question at defensive tackle is they need help there. I think we, do we all think more Tommy Togiai is part of the defensive tackle thing in 2022, but that's certainly not like the answer. It's, other dudes that maybe more Jordan Elliott, right? I don't know. It was a third round pick a couple of years ago. So they have a couple of young guys. I don't know here. You drafted a tackle in the second round. I want to trade the second round pick to get a quarterback, but a lot of people are going to project that second round pick. Cause again, some of the stuff that happens with the Browns, just like last year, it was like, man, they got corner and linebacker and it was two perfect guys and it was two needs. And boy, did that work. And the idea that they might go receiver defensive tackle and the talent matches the need and the guys are right there. Devontae Wyatt from Georgia, if he's there for the Browns, that might be the exact right guy. But I'm wondering if you can do it in free agency. And I'm wondering if you do it. But the Bengals, when they did this, DJ Reader signed a pretty big deal a couple years ago. He was the 10th highest paid tackle in the league this year. So that was a big investment by the Bengals. And then BJ Hill, they traded a Billy Price, a former first round pick for him right before the season. So that's our during, the, I think it was right before the season. Those are two pretty big investments. I don't know that the the Browns are going to invest that much, but this is also the thing. My idea was going to be find some smart veterans, find a better version of Malik Jackson. But then I looked at PFF and I looked at the 21 highest graded defensive tackles last year. 16 of the 21 highest graded defensive tackles were first or second round picks. It was remarkable to me that it's like, this is an area of draft certainty that if you take a defensive tackle high, there's a pretty decent chance he's really going to help you. So then that made me think, I don't really want them to draft a defensive tackle in the second round because I think positional value, there's maybe other things they can do. But if you're going to get like a seven-year guy who's going to help you, and be one of the 15 best tackles in the league, which Devontae Wyatt might do. I'm torn here, folks. They need something at defensive tackle. My roadmap was going to be Andrew Barry get to work on two good veterans at defensive tackle. But then I read Dan's draft thing, and I started doing a little research, and I'm like, man, maybe that's the way to go. So I need help. My roadmap has defensive tackle on it, but I do not know how to get there. So... I think I'm team Andrew Barry in one sense when it comes to defensive tackles. And I think it's that unless you have a guy, like I'm just looking at PFF's top defensive tackles here and just some of these names. So unless you have Aaron Donald or Cam Hayward or Chris Jones, or, you know, one of these, you know, JJ Watt kind of plays inside and outside, but you know, he, they have him as a defensive tackle here on in their grades. Unless you have like a dude, I don't want to pay him 
like what I was paying Sheldon Richardson. That's too much money for Sheldon Richardson. I like Sheldon Richardson. I think he would have looked good this year as a, as an interior guy on this team, but I don't want to pay him what John Dorsey paid him. You know, he did, he did his job. I think he was probably worth it the time he was here, but that's still a lot of money for a tackle. So I, I know we're going to do a podcast all about our drafts here, but my thinking with Devontae Wyatt was here's a guy that you, you would give up a real asset for. I mean, a second round pick is a real asset, but then you have a potentially disruptive defensive tackle for the next four years at kind of the price, actually a lower price than what you would want to pay a defensive tackle. So you'd have that cost control as well. The only the only reason I'm not sure they would take him, well, too, positional value, but also he's going to be 24 years old at the end of March. And they don't generally take guys that old with their high picks. But I, I just, when he was sitting there, I'm like, this is kind of a fit. This is kind of perfect. This is a guy whose whole deal is pressure. I even found a picture of him hitting Bryce Young in the national championship game. And I think that's what they need. They need pressure up the middle. And I don't know that you get that from Jordan Elliott and Tommy Togiai. Yeah, I haven't, full disclosure, have not finished my mock draft yet, but it is dropping the same day this podcast drops, right? I'm, I'm going crazy and losing track of days, <laughs> but I think it's dropping the same day this podcast does. And I was also going to look at defensive tackles in the second round. I kind of like this route. And I mean, we've talked about before, like how much does this regime value defensive tackles to go out and spend a ton of money to pick someone up in free agency. Like, I just don't know that realistically they would do that. So I kind of like them addressing it earlier in the draft. And I mean, Doug, that's, those are some interesting numbers in terms of these first and second round guys. These I are just, believe just for reference real quick. These are the cap numbers for, um, this is not a defensive tackle. This was a left tackle Walker little who went number 45 last year, 1.3, 1.7, 2 million, and then 2.4 million. Those are his cap hits over his rookie contract. That's, that's the thing that it could be a lot. I don't think they value linebackers positional value, right? But a good second round player who's not making that much money, that actually is a good way to spend your cap. So you can go spend a bunch of money on, cornerbacks and edge rushers so if this is a jok version of a second round pick it's a really good player you don't have to go try to find it in free agency you don't have to run you know sift through the scrap heap i i Devonte wyatt does make a lot of sense listen the, the georgia defensive tackles last year played defensive tackle as well as anybody in college football has played defensive tackle in the last decade with the jordan davis Devonte wyatt jalen carter rotation and two of those three guys are going to be in the draft and jordan davis is going to go in the first round so I think Devontae Wyatt definitely has an upside. And one of the things, Dan, I do think this is one of those, if they don't want to pay defensive tackles a ton of money, if you draft Devontae Wyatt, it might be like a Joe Schobert plan, which is come be an awesome player for four years. And then if you're too awesome, we're probably not going to sign you. So we don't care how old you are. Yeah, because well, yeah, we're, not, we don't, we're not trying to figure out what's going to happen in year nine in Cleveland. We want four good years out of you at defensive tackle for a pretty reasonable price. And if we get that, then that was a good second round pick. Right. I mean, sort of like running backs, not, not all running backs, but some teams like the running back position. And unless that guy turns into Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry, it's like, thanks for your four or five years. Well, we'll see you later. <laughs> We're yeah. going to let somebody else pay you. 
And if he's Aaron Donald, he's Aaron Donald. Great. Great problem to have. Oh, he's too good. We have to pay him. But otherwise, then you you move on to the thing. So uh, I think it's very logical that they could go this way. Why it's the name that pops up, a lot of drafts seem to think he's going to be there. So they have to address it, though. And if again, if, if you get the JOK of defensive tackles in round two, man, you might be solving an issue pretty quickly. And I think he'd contribute right away. I like that. The JOK of defensive tackles. <laughs> the JOK. So, yeah. Well, just, just, yeah. Get 22 JOKs. You're good to go. <laughs> Didn't you at one point ask if JOK could play offense? Didn't you ask if JOK could yeah. catch? The answer is yes. He did play some wide receiver in high school and run a quarterback out of the Wildcat. We're looking for a Jarvis Landry replacement. He might be on the roster. <laughs> so defensive tackle is clear. <laughs> Bring back two-way players. It'll be like De- yeah. it'll be, he's, he's the Browns. De- I shouldn't say first ever. It'll be the Browns Deion Sanders or whatever. And on top of doing all that, JOK also was a long snapper in high school. So he could be the backup long snapper for all we know. That's the next revolution in analytics. Playing your best players 130 snaps a game. <laughs> Just why take him off the field at all? If he's so good, play both ways. The way our team is built is we have 11 players and 42 special teamers. Could it actually be a fun podcast top? Can we seriously do this in the offseason where like yes. we guys and say, like, if they weren't this position, we would want them at that position? Yeah, actually, let's like create that. the uh, the 11 man Browns team. Yeah. What could you do? Yeah, but all 11 guys have to play both ways. Yep. <laughs> I like that. Doug, before we go to defensive end, we're done on tackle. Let's take a quick break. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Doug, what's your last, uh, your last position here you want to address? So the last position is defensive end, and it is the wait out the big money defensive ends see which good veterans are still hanging around and offer them a reasonable one-year deal to come play opposite Miles Garrett and maybe get a bigger contract from the Browns or somebody else next year. I'm not against re-signing Clowney. He was good enough that I wonder how difficult that might be. I wonder how many teams might be willing to give him multiple years at pretty high money that might be too rich for the Browns' blood. And then you start going through guys. Some of these guys are going to get through multi, get multi-year deals, but it's a lot of the same names, or some of them, that we were talking about a year ago when the Browns wound up with Tack McKinley and Jadavion Clowney. Melvin Ingram's a free agent. Hassan Reddick's a free agent. Harold Landry's a free agent. Justin Houston's a free agent. Uh, Jerry Hughes is a free agent. Derek Barnett's a free agent. I don't know how all that's going to go. Some of those guys are going to be high-priced dudes. They're going to be like Trey Hendrickson and get a big money multi-year deal. But there always does, there seems to be guys kind of left over at the end. And if that, I think we've talked about this with the clowny thing. If if Miles Garrett is attractive, if maybe this Joe Wood scheme is attractive, if maybe you think, hey, maybe I wasn't great last year and I want to go, I don't want to sign a multi-year deal right now because I feel like I'm at a low point of my value and I want to go increase my value. Let Miles Garrett be a recruiter and a reason for a guy to come to Cleveland over somewhere else and get really good production at a reasonable price from your opposite defensive end. Mary Kay has talked a lot about the Tack McKinley injury. Could they bring Tack back 
in some way where he maybe shows up in the middle of the year. I'd be very interested in that. They have to figure something else. They have to, I mean, they have to do something here. That That's your second and third defensive ends. And if Clowney signs elsewhere, I mean, it's got to be something. But I think that could work. So I don't have a name, but I wonder if Andrew Barry could have a list of nine guys he think might work out and they get a little later in free agency and two or three of them are still there. And then the Browns pounce. Does that sound possible? I think so. And, and I think it's important. They need, they need two of them, right? They need, even if they did bring back tack, they need some combination of a starter and then a third edge rusher. Right? Cause I don't think they have that, that third edge rusher on the roster right now. And then hopefully tech comes back and he can help you out later in the year, but you know, whatever, he was a find, he really fit in that role perfectly. Um, it's sort of like receiver. It's, I, I kind of look at this the same as receiver. Not everybody's going to get 17 to $20 million. It's just not going to happen. So Mike Williams might get that. And Devontae Adams might get that. And somebody else, you know, Allen Robinson might get that, but there aren't 32 teams looking to hand out $17 million to a wide receiver. And so you might get a Chris Godwin a little cheaper than expected. Or I, I had mentioned Michael Gallup as a guy that maybe you could get for 10 to 12 or 14, something like that. And that's sort of what the Browns did last year. They didn't go after Trey Hendrickson and Carl Lawson and these guys that got that 15, $16 million. And they end up bringing in Tack and Jadavian for about 15 million combined, less than that. So I, I do wonder if we're seeing a trend here with Andrew Barry and sort of how he views this position and, and how he wants to approach this. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with Doug at this point. I guess my my thinking keeps getting more pessimistic in regards to whether or not I think Clowney would come back because I just keep thinking about what he said after that last game and obviously knowing obvi- how well he played, but that he's getting up there in age, relatively speaking, for, for a football player, for, for a defensive end, and he made that comment about when you're playing this well, like you want to get paid like it, like, and it's not all about money, but I do think just at the end of the day, he might get an offer that the Browns are not willing to match. But I mean, I'm kind of with Doug that miles Garrett essentially proved with this, that he can be a valuable tool for them. I think it may be luring somebody else here who it's kind of a, a similar situation. And I know we've talked about this before. Like, do you just kind of create a string of guys on one year deals and see what happens? I mean, it's one way to go about it because I don't think him coming back is necessarily a guarantee for given what he did and given how much value he might have now that they couldn't have anticipated, quite honestly. It worked out through, great for, for player these. and franchise, right? I mean, that's the thing with Clowney. It's like it worked yeah. out so well for both the team and the player that he might be too expensive. And, and this, or maybe it leads him back here with all these guys. I mean, I'm looking at some of these contracts and you mentioned PFF does their projections. You know, look, Vaughn Miller's going to get paid even at age 33. Chandler Jones, probably going to get paid. But like, you know, as you go through this list, is Emmanuel Agba, they're projecting three years, 15 and a half million a year. Is he really going to get that? You know, I don't know. So some of these guys who are maybe expecting to get that kind of money aren't going to get it. And maybe Clowney will end up being one of those guys. Maybe he'll hit the market and be looking for that two-year deal for 15 million a year and it won't materialize. And then we'll call Andrew Barry up and say, all right, let's do this. What is your guy's limit for Clowney? What's the highest 
you would go. say I think before I said 12 with maybe some incentives like one year 12 and then incentives up his incentives on top of it because his sacks did top out at nine this year so I think maybe you go a little bit higher with that obviously he left some money on the table because I believe he would have gotten an extra half a million dollars had the Browns made the playoffs um, so that was some money that's still there I think there's room to give him a little bit more and and kind of see what happens yeah, it depends. And again, as we covered on your roadmap, Dan, if you're cutting some more guys to free up some more space, again, is it, would you rather have Case Keenum or Javion Clowney? You know, that, that it's not exactly a one for one with some of this stuff, but it depends. It's a lot of moving parts. I don't think are any of us at Clowney or bust at give him whatever it takes to keep him in Cleveland. It doesn't feel like any of us are quite at that point with him. I really liked him and I don't think I'm at that point yet. Like, I think you can maybe mimic this with some of these other names that you brought up, Doug. Like you said, there might be a list of nine or eight guys that Andrew Barry is looking at repeatedly and just kind of waiting out what the market looks like. Um, he did a good job, but if it ends up being too much money in the end and you gotta, you got to cut somewhere, I don't think it's the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's fun to watch those two guys rushing off the edge it's incredible but at the same time I think there is a, a level of production there and you know I'm mentioning this name again and I, and I do think he's gonna probably get priced out of the Browns range but th- there's no reason to think you can't get some level of production close to what you got out of Clowney out of a guy like an Agba right I mean this is a guy that can bat down passes has good size has had put together two really good years with the Dolphins now. He had 61 pressures last year, which I think actually it was more than Clowney had. Um, not as good against the run, but that's okay. I, I think Scott has even said here on this pod that Clowney had one of his worst years against the run. So, I, you know, I don't think it has to be Clowney or Bust. It would be great if it was because I think those two work really well together and they're both just such freaks. But you can find someone out there who can give you at least a year close to what Clowney gave you. And I know last offseason that there were times when we had conversations about should the Browns really extend and get one of those high priced defensive ends. But a lot of those, when those biggest, the biggest defensive ends edge rushers hit the market, the guys who were really getting big money are getting signed to be the number one edge rusher on their team. And the fact that you have miles Garrett, it's just less of an imperative. And, and as much as I understand what you're saying, Dan, about, you know, a receiver comparison, well, the whole point is the Browns don't have a miles Garrett at receiver. So they're looking for a number one guy. So maybe they have to be more proactive with that. The fact that miles Garrett is the centerpiece of your franchise, I do think allows you to sit back. It's all, it's a lure for guys to maybe want to come here, but it also lessens the pressure a little bit because it's not like you're thinking, well, if we don't get a defensive end, we're not going to pressure the quarterback at all because you still have miles. So it's it's a strength. And I think when you have a strength, let that strength work for you by maybe letting you get production over what you pay because of what you have. That's when you have a strength of a team. It shouldn't just make you good at that spot. It should help make you good elsewhere. And I just think this is a perfect example of that. So, and I think defensive ends who are maybe in a little bit of a weird spot or a little bit disappointed about not getting the multi-year offers they wanted. If they have a bunch of one year deals of a similar size, I think they would pick Cleveland because it is a good team. It's not like you're going to a team that's going to go two and 15, 
You see how it worked out for Clowney. Miles is here. I think it's attractive. Whereas if a receiver is doing the same thing, if a, a receiver has multiple offers and the Browns are the same as a lot of places, a receiver would probably say, well, I'm going to go to a place where they're going to throw the ball to receivers. I don't think the Browns win a close negotiation at receiver. I think they might win a close negotiation at defensive end, which is why they can be patient and pounce on the guys who are left. So you're saying you don't think a receiver would want to come to a team that throws a lot of six yard passes to tight ends specifically. I don't know who the quarterback is. I don't know what the play caller's doing. And I don't know if they're going to invent something called 14 personnel where they figure out another way to sneak a fourth tight end on the field. So yes. Instead of a quarterback, instead of Baker Mayfield, just put a fourth (laughs) tight end out there. And then you stop that conversation and you could potentially outsmart everyone else by having four tight ends. They're, they're going to pay David Njoku like $20 million this offseason. We're going to be like, what are you doing? And then week one, he's going to start at quarterback. And we're going to be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. He's going to run single wing, and he's going to throw like three pop passes a game to Harrison Bryant, and they'll go 13-4. and four. <laughs> Hey, speaking of defensive ends, Doug, you remember we did that live draft podcast last year where we reacted. We were reacting in real time. If we're doing that again this year and number 13 comes along, and the Browns take a defensive end. Are we just all getting out of the way and letting you rant for 10 minutes? Yeah. Uh, yes, you are. <laughs> Unless they're drafting Drake London to play defensive end, as well as receiver in our strategy of 11 players, both all playing both ways. It's just one of those things you can't. Sometimes you need to accentuate and add to and lead into your strengths. And sometimes you need to understand well, we're pretty good there. Let's go to where we're weak. And I just, if they had a Miles Garrett at receiver, I'd be okay with it. But it's like, oh, we have one we have one guy who's good at this. Let's get a second one. Meanwhile, we still don't have anybody who can do this other thing. So, and I just don't, but you'll see, aren't there people who like always, there are people who seem to always want the Browns to take an edge rusher in the first round. And I just, I'm not exactly sure what they're angling for, because who, where are the teams that have two great defensive ends? It's not like, it's not like, well, everybody has two great defensive ends. It's like, do they? Most teams don't have a Miles Garrett. And then you have some other guy on the other side. That, that's good. But I just don't think it, uh, why are you getting me? I preemptively have fights in my head all day. Now Dan has planted one. I'm going to be working on my, they drafted defensive end at 13 rant for the next, 10 weeks now. So much so much so that you're actually going to want it to happen. It's going to get so good yeah. that you're actually going to be mad if they take a receiver. His voice <laughs> will reach octaves that haven't even been discovered yet in humans. Nothing personal. It's nothing against David Ajabo. I just don't want him here. He so. might not even be around at 13 at this point anymore, if you believe some of these mocks. But that's the thing. That's how you get into it. It's like, oh, no yeah. one thought David Ajabo would be there. The Browns had to take him. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> so it's a preview. Love it. <laughs> All right. Are we set? Was that everything, Doug? Yeah. Those are the, those are the things. And then draft a kicker. So draft a kicker, draft a kicker, draft a kicker. Fifth or sixth round, Cade York. Um, he'll change your franchise, but yes, those are the guys. There's just like it. 
it's you got to you got to figure this stuff out on the line. And, and this is where I really it, this is Andrew Barry doing work. Right. There's a lot of strategy here. There's options. You've got to find the right option. This is Andrew Barry doing work. It's it's important to, you know, resign Denzel Ward. And it's important to draft Greg Newsom. But this is the, the cracks. Fill in the cracks here is the way that you make a good team. Great. So I'm curious to see what he does. Sorry, Ashley. I was going to ask you, is fifth round like the highest you'd be willing to go for a kicker? Or would you not even be willing to go that high? Uh, I, I think McPherson was fifth round last year. Yeah. Yeah. So I think anything higher than that is is pretty unusual. So, but I think fifth round I could handle. Fifth round I could handle. Okay. <laughs> We're going to do a whole podcast on kickers at some point here. We did like 15 minutes on them last week. So we got plenty of kicker content at us. Okay. There we go. Our orange and brown talk podcast for a Thursday here on Cleveland icon. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And of course, make sure you're a football insider. Cleveland icon slash brown blue banner at the top of the page. Again, Ashley, I'll talk to you later.